Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. Joining me live is absolutely no one because it is Friday, December 22nd, and all of my co-hosts bailed on me. Uh, two of them are out traveling for holiday plans. Uh, one is sick, and the other one just is literally on a Discord call uh, with other people refusing to do this with me. He was like, this is Matt Hubertson. Get in there and say, hey, are you going to... I see you're here. You're free after all. Are you going to come join? He's like, if you want me to record a podcast with you right now, I will record a podcast with you. Uh, Man did not want. Man was not uh, ready to work right then and there. So it's just it's just me. It's fine. We can get everyone day off. I am going solo today here. But uh, as everyone knows, I fucking hate going solo. It's not. I don't enjoy it. No, who gets on, Who wants to get on a podcast and talk to themselves for 45 minutes unless you're a fucking narcissist. Uh, so... I am going to talk about Pac-12 stuff. We will talk about Pac-12 stuff. I will recap, talk about the UCLA basketball game that just happened. Their loss to Maryland in Poly Pavilion, their second straight home loss. I think it's now their fifth their fifth straight loss out of six. Um, maybe even more than that. I think it's I think it's five out of six. Uh, they're on a real downside right now. I'll talk about that. I'm going to leave that till the end because I know there's a lot of football sickos here that are like, I don't, I don't care about college basketball. I want to hear about recruiting or whatever uh so we'll talk about some stuff we got some discourse here for you i i am going solo but i have asked my co-hosts a couple of questions each that i've told them that i want them to call in or record something to share with you all and for me to react to uh i've got four questions and i'll go through each of them i also asked some friends for voicemails got some folks in a little group chat of pack 12 sickos Ask them for some voicemails. Uh, one person sent in uh, uh, stuff, but he sent in five voicemails. And it's fucking Chad. Uh, at UCLA Maltese. Friend of the show. Uh, had a, a lot to say in a lot of a lot of questions. So, eh, well, whatever. He's got some good questions. We'll, we'll get to them. But first, uh, as always, subscribe to our YouTube. We're skipping the YouTube episode, as you've noticed. Other programming note. We're not going live after the Northwestern Utah game, as we had initially promised it's december 23rd these holidays are just a weird time people are traveling people are going home blah 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 so this is your weekly episode hope you enjoy this on your ride to wherever the hell you're going um your ride back to you know home or whatever um so yeah whatever uh okay so let's get into it we had four questions for each of the four hosts one question per host my first question was to greg i asked greg who's had a worse december ucla basketball or ucla football uh this was in the context of ucla's starting defensive backs kamari ramsey and john humphrey traf- transferring to usc these are starting defensive backs uh this is not a situation where a guy who isn't getting playing time is now going somewhere else but uh well they were poached <laughs> by usc and Dan Lin, uh, in particular, the defensive coordinator at UCLA, once a defensive coordinator at UCLA, now the defensive coordinator at USC. This is a, kind of a crazy story there. So that's, a, if you're a UCLA fan, probably down bad. Or UCLA basketball. I said we were going to get to UCLA basketball. We'll get to the Maryland game in a little bit. Uh, this is what I asked of Greg. Who had a, who, who's had a worse December? We're coming near the end of this month. What do you think, UCLA football or UCLA basketball? This is what he had to say. Who has had a worse December, UCLA basketball or UCLA football, uh, with the pretty embarrassing losses 
for UCLA basketball, culminating, of course, with a loss to Cal State Northridge, which is pretty bad. But then on the other hand, you've got UCLA bas- uh, UCLA football, who has, you know, they had a dreadful end of the season, uh, but that wasn't even part of December. And in December, they have Chip Kelly, lost their defensive coordinator to their arch rivals, lost their DBs to USC as well, and basically just could not have less momentum going into the Big 12. I mean, not the Big 12, the Big 10. This is a really easy one for me. It's obvious that uh, UCLA basketball has had a better December than UCLA football. Uh, UCLA's basketball team was never going to be a great team this year, you know. People didn't have massive expectations for them this year. Now, obviously, this is kind of concerning. This is worse than people expected it was going to be for them. You don't expect to lose to CSUN, but still, like, UCLA football is dead in the water going in with a lame duck coach to a new conference that is so much better than the one they're leaving. Like, this is is a disaster for UCLA football. UCLA basketball will go into the Big Ten still as – the power in basketball in that conference. You know, nobody's worried about their future, really. At least I don't think they should be. UCLA football, on the other hand, I am genuinely scared for their future. I think they're genuinely in danger. Uh, Chip Kelly is obviously not that guy, and yet we're still going into the Big Ten with him as the coach, with no momentum in recruiting, with no momentum on the field, just nothing but bad. UCLA fans, I think, watched that loss to CSUN and thought, you know, it could still be worse. It could still be what UCLA football is. Um, So while it's been a very bad December overall for UCLA fans, uh, definitely been worse for football. uh, And I think you will agree with me on that, Carlos. Greg is right. I do agree with him. UCLA football has had a fucking... Oh, Uh, this is playing here. Uh, Yeah, he's absolutely right. Uh, A much more disastrous football season than basketball season. Not even just season, just this past month. UCLA has played one football game this past month. Zero uh, meaningful ones because the game against Boise State was not that meaningful. They won. They won by a couple scores. And I would still say, despite the fact that UCLA basketball looks like they're in the shitter, UCLA football is uh, is tanking. Uh, I, I think there are plenty of people who have articulated what the hell is going on with football uh, and UCLA football. And I think you're getting a lot of surface level stuff like, oh, they just don't care. UCLA football doesn't care. Why? You know, they, they, they just don't have people who care. Um, and you know, it, 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 sadly, it just, it will all change and get better as soon as you get people who care. Uh, I am of the opinion that UCLA football will probably never be good again. I, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm probably the only one who feels that way, uh, among at least the, you know, UCLA people. I would say that UCLA is in a precarious spot, not necessarily because of the big 10. That's a big part of it. Not necessarily because they retained Chip Kelly. It's a big part of it. Not necessarily that Darren German is still their athletic director. It's part of it. I think the problem is is that all of these things are coming together because UCLA has no incentive to care about football. It doesn't make sense. What, what would you say, if you ask any 
prognosticator, if you ask any talking head what the value of a college football program is, they'll tell you, oh, well, it, it helps boost your applications. Uh, it helps bring donors. It helps bring in money. And those things are all true. Uh, they are not true equally across all schools. A school like Oregon needs its football program to do really, really well more than, say, uh, Washington, more than, say, even a UCLA, because Oregon's athletic brand uh, carries its it is its you know primary brand, uh, and their football brand is its primary brand uh, the, over its academic brand. The academic brand for Oregon is. Uh, not non-existent. People know what the University of Oregon is. They certainly know, uh, you know, because of their football team. But no one is sort of applying to univer- the University of Oregon in droves the way that they are to the University of Washington. And more importantly, for this specific argument, UCLA. Um, UCLA is far and away, like pretty comfortably, the most applied to university in the country. It's it's not really that close. Um, I think they've had 140,000 plus applications over this past year. Um, 150, actually. 150,000 applications. That's the most applied to university in the world. Number two, UC San Diego uh, at 131. So that's a big difference. And then uh, Cal's right behind them at 128. UC Irvine is at 119. Uh, number one thing you should, oh, number, by the way, number five, UC Santa Barbara. Number one thing you should notice, um, those are all UC school. Those are all UCs, University of California programs. Uh, sorry, schools. And the other thing you should notice is that UC San Diego, UC Irvine, and UC Santa Barbara do not compete at the highest levels of their sports. I'm, I think UC San Diego might be in the big West, UCI and UC Santa Barbara definitely are. I don't think any of the three have a football program whatsoever and ucla gets probably i think upwards of 1.1 billion dollars in research funding it gets a ton of donations it literally broke funding records in its centennial campaign uh, i think in the 2021 fiscal year 2020 fiscal year whatever it was they don't need football i think that's the hard pill to swallow here there's no real reason for ucla to care about football more than any other program in the pac-12 currently or you know, the Big Ten or the big uh, the SEC or whatever. Uh, there's no program that needs needs football less except, like, maybe an Ivy League and Stanford. Like, and even then, it's like, you know, they have more applications than Stanford does. I don't know that Stanford is soliciting hundreds of thousands of applications the way that UCLA is, but certainly you'd have to think they are. I don't know how much sports are a part of that. Uh, people Stanford has its own academic brand, and, and now UCLA has an academic brand that sits far, far apart from its um, athletic, uh, its athletics brand, right? Like it's it almost is just a non-starter. So I say all that to say, and football of all the programs that it could probably focus on is maybe the one that gives you the least bang for your buck because for all the things people say about like it brings in money, it does and it doesn't i think only about like 20 athletic programs actually are profitable like football programs are actually profitable and bring in surpluses of money certainly that can't be the case with ucla number one they are in debt which like whatever the debt is not you know maybe not that big of a deal the bigger deal is that they invested uh an absurd amount of money ucla did 
in football at, during the Jim Mora years, right? They built the Casey Wasserman Center. Uh, they like re they renovated the Spalding Field and did a bunch of shit. Uh, they went and hired they fired Jim Mora on a pretty big buyout for UCLA standards and hired Chip Kelly, uh, which they didn't go bankrupt trying to hire Chip Kelly, but they did pay him the more the most by far than they that they've ever paid a college football coach um, and beat out Florida to do it. So yeah. And, and what's that gotten them? Like it's gotten them dog shit. It's gotten them nothing. Uh, got them 2018, 2019, three and nine, four and eight, a 2020 COVID season that no one could watch uh, in person. Uh, and then a bunch of eight win seasons. Um, and probably they're getting something from those relative. And now they're going to the big 10 and they're going to get a nice little life raft and get money. But there's no incentive there. I, I like if I'm someone who's sitting in a position of power and I'm bringing in money, Gene Block among college football fans, UCLA football fans, people hate him, think he's a moron among the among his peers, among the people who like actually matter uh, to his job. He's fine. He's done a great job. Look at how much he's boosted applications. Look how much the acceptance rate has gone down. Look how much money, most importantly, money that UCLA has brought in. It doesn't matter. And this is the thing is that everyone thinks our college football programs are special. And, you know, I this podcast has a particular disdain for college football fans, sometimes including ourselves. But it doesn't matter nearly as much as people think it does. Um, of the top um the top 25 most applied to universities in the country in i think this is fiscal year 2020 the academic year 2022 2023 uh ucla and cal are the only ones with major football programs i'm going to tell you right now their football programs aren't doing jack shit for those but uh only those are in the top 10 um and then the next ones are penn state and michigan i guess they're in the top 10 too at 85 and 84 um uh, behind northeastern um, behind UC Davis, behind NYU, I, and Penn State and Michigan are big-time college football brands. Hell, Michigan kind of has a pretty good academic brand. This is not... Uh, UCLA football is suffering because it does not need to thrive in order for UCLA to do well. I think the logic of college football programs uh, varies depending on where programs are. Yeah, sure. Texas A&M, that example that people just bring up every fucking month, it feels like. Yeah, it did work for them because no one gives a shit about Texas A&M, the university. No one knows what that is outside of college football fans. Uh, no one knows where you where you find out a map. No one's trying to live in College Station, Texas on purpose, like, you know, on front of mind, right? That's not the first place you go to. UCLA has none of those problems. It just doesn't. And I know that's hard for people to hear. Yeah, do I think UCLA football could be good again? I think so, yeah. They'd have to get lucky, though. They'd have to, you know, lock into an athletic director. They might get lucky because their athletic director is unraveling right now. He may just get fired because he's acting out. Uh, people have been putting out there on the streets that he was belligerent at a UCLA basketball game yelling, how am I supposed to fire Chip Kelly? And how am I supposed to do this, that? That's what people are saying on the streets. Maybe that results in something. Who knows? Um so, you know, in that case, it's like they get another athletic director, someone who seems to care, someone who's savvy, their next chancellor, can they get lucky, get a chancellor who does care about football, it's like a pet project, you know, they all have their own pet departments, projects, whatever, maybe football is the next chancellor, so they get lucky, and maybe, sure, but 
the regents and everyone who's in position of power hiring a chancellor, they're not saying, how are you going to take care of UCLA football? Can you tell us a little bit about what your vision is for the football program? No, they don't give a fuck. It's a tiny little thing. It's a tiny little thing in the context of UCLA. Super tiny in the context of uh, University of California system. Sure, the head coach is like the highest highest paid public employee in the state, but that's about it. You know, they they pay ten, fifteen, twenty million dollars for college football staff, have a bunch of other expenses, and then that's it. You know, in the context of UCLA, it's not it's not really that big. So I think UCLA's got to get lucky. As someone who roots for UCLA, I hope they do, but I'm not I'm not holding out hope for them. Uh, let's move on to the next question I had here. I asked my homie Reed, my nemesis, my rival. I asked him, if Washington wins the Natty, where does 2023 rank in terms of the most painful season you've experienced as an Oregon football fan? Let's hear what he had to say. All right, Carlo left, Carlos left me a kind of annoying question about the most painful Oregon seasons ever and where they drink if UW wins a national title. One, I don't really think UW's going to win a national title, and I think it would be even more frustrating if they did because I just don't think this Washington team is that great. I think that they're like top 10 team uh, masquerading as a, you know, top 20, top 5 team, I guess. Let me stop him there. Uh, I read the transcript because I was curious what Reed had to say. Um, l- let's engage this part here that Oregon is, or Washington is a top 10, top 15 team masquerading as a college football team. Number one, they won all their games. And I know that that's kind of uh, a tired refrain, one that I kind of hated myself. This or- Washington fans are being super insufferable with this winner's win bullshit. Uh, that doesn't matter how much you win games. doesn't matter how they look as long as you win them. I think I mostly would agree with Reed here, except for the fact that they had to play a team that he himself has called one of the greatest teams in Oregon history. And I probably don't disagree with that. Uh, He himself has called a legitimate title contender before the Washington game um, that I also didn't agree with, a team that looked like a true juggernaut and Washington beat them. And every time they've beat them, they've done it slightly more convincingly than they did in, in, uh, in the previous time. Washington did that twice. And I don't know that there's another college football team on the docket for in the playoff right now. I don't think any of the other three have done that. Like, I don't think any of the other three have taken a team that has mostly looked untouchable in every other game and made them look thoroughly pedestrian um so i get what reed is saying here that they're a top 10 top 15 team masquerading as a college football playoff team i don't i i guess i don't agree i guess if you just i i think this oregon team uh has the same profile of like 2019 utah and that they're beating the shit the absolute piss out of everyone that they're that is lesser than them and struggling with teams that are at their level. And that's what happened with Washington. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't dock them, but let's see what the, what uh, Reed has to say for the rest of his voicemail. Uh, and really that's, that's not their quality. And so the fact that a Washington team that really doesn't belong in the conversation with the best uh, Oregon Washington teams ever <laughs> wins it would be kind of frustrating to me. 
2012 Oregon and 2014 Oregon are the two best teams of those uh, two that Oregon and Washington have produced. And to me, those are by far the most painful Oregon years. Uh, nothing will ever compare with particularly the pain of 2012 and how clear it was for Oregon to win a national title if they beat Stanford. Uh, Zach Ertz was out of bounds with two minutes left in that game to take Stanford to overtime. Uh, D'Anthony Thomas missed a block in the first quarter down the sideline. A lot of things would have lined up uh, for Oregon there. They would have played Notre Dame in a national title game and probably won by two or three scores. So that's the most painful one. 2014 was painful because it was Mariota's last year. Uh, 2010, I think we were happy to be there because, you know, no one expected Oregon to go undefeated that year, kind of like Washington this year. 2007 was painful because of Dixon, but I don't think that Oregon fans expected that season to be a winner anyways. So, yeah, that's what I'll say on that. Um, I don't know. Hopefully Washington doesn't win. I really don't think that it's sustainable the way they've done it, but I also, like I said, think that they're good enough uh, to be a better team on a given day because of their receiver talent. And, well, Texas' secondary isn't great. Uh, Michigan and Alabama's offenses are liable for a bad day, so I'm scared. Uh, I'm hopeful that I can just get on the other side of January 1 and Oregon can recover uh, and do some counter-propaganda to overdo these uh, last three games that have been pretty brutal in the rivalry. Well, there's Reed. I'm not going to tell him how to feel, but I do think it's interesting here that, uh, you know, he'd put those championship sort of contending Oregon teams and them falling short as more painful. I think that's fair. Obviously you want, I think everyone would say they want their team to win a championship more than they want, don't want their rival to win theirs. I I would, I, I think the reason I asked this question is because Washington winning a national championship, like pretty much destroys every piece of, rivalry smack uh that Oregon fans have held dear for quite some time this idea that well they won a national championship 30 years ago none of you were alive for that and you know it was a fake national championship because he was split they would never do it here and you know and it's a different world you can't win college they UW can't win a college football championship anymore like and and going alongside that with Oregon is well positioned. Oregon can win a national championship. Oregon is one of the eight to ten to fifteen teams every year that can win a national championship because of the blue chip ratio and blah 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 blah. And all those things are valid and fair. They're not to dismiss them. I think that is true. Washington would be, I think, the first team in a long time since recruiting has been something. Blue chips have been a thing since like four and five stars. Since like recruiting services started rating them on stars, be the first time ever that I. Um, a championship team if Washington wins it that someone who doesn't have the blue chip ratio wins a championship that would be pretty absurd it's uh not as shocking as what it would have been if TCU had won a national championship but it's the next right there um that in that context but in this particular team and the way that people have been talking about Michigan and the way people have been talking about Alabama and the way people have been talking about Texas Washington think has a legit shot reed was talking about sustainability and how what they have done has is not sustainable they they're two games away i like sustainability went out the window when they went 13 to 0 
they did it sustainably over 13 games. Did they struggle? Yeah, they struggled. I, I don't know how much of that was sleepwalking. It's really hard to gauge right now how much of that was sleepwalking, how much of that was injuries, how much of that was just them flat out not being that good. Really hard to understand and make sense of because they played a, a team with more than a pulse that looked like it was going to shred every team in its path uh, towards a national championship, a team in Oregon that looked like it was going to get revenge and get revenge in a bloodbath against Washington. And Washington came damn close to saying that they beat them up bad. Um, that was the game. I know the score and you know where the game kind of was and what the what the score looked like over time. Kind of looks like it was a super close game. That was less close than the first version of this this season. It was much much less close. It was a much bigger gap in Washington's favor than the 2022 version. So. In terms of painful, I think it it would be painful. But no, I mean, Reed is there. His com- his points of comparison here are 2012 and 2014 and 2010. Uh, and it seemed to me like 2012 and 2014 were painful, and 2010 was just kind of, you know, oh, we're happy to be here. If this being the third most painful season you've experienced as a fan is pretty, it's pretty painful. So maybe not the worst, but certainly a very painful one. I'm curious to see what Washington does. Uh, I think. They there's been a lot of conversations about their roster building. We've had roster building conversations. Greg has said before, Washington's building a roster like Utah. It's true they are building a roster like Utah, but they've also added an all conference quarterback to that, an all American level quarterback, a Heisman contending quarterback to that, and like three or four NFL receivers. If if Utah had those at like at any point in the past two seasons, they probably are playing for a college football championship themselves too. So uh, we'll see. I'm I'm really curious. I have heard things about Texas's D-line. Let's see how that holds up. Washington, I had heard many, many more things about Oregon's defensive line um, than Texas's defensive line, uh, and Washington seemed to handle that well. So let's see how that translates. Uh, Reed just said Texas's secondary isn't good. That's also what I've heard. That is dangerous, I think. Um, we'll see how Washington's defense holds up. I think it held up okay against Oregon. Oregon kind of got, I wouldn't say whatever they wanted, but certainly it was, uh, it was, it was certainly enough, um, to put some, put some fear into the Huskies. Um, but I don't know. They've figured it out. They've won it in a range of ways. And yeah, it sounds cliche old school football guy, but to say like, they just find ways to win, but they're kind of just finding ways to win right now. We will see. All right, let's move on to our next question. Uh, this one was for Matthew Hubertson. I asked him, uh, I sort of, we know that Arizona State and Colorado have both had some loud, eventful signing days. I asked him who will have a better season in 2024, the Devils or the Buffs. Man didn't send in much, so let's hear what he had to say. Hey, Carlos. First time in a long time. Uh, this is Matt calling in. I uh, wanted to ask you in regards to the old uh, – uh, I think they call them at the early signing day, really just become the national signing day in my opinion. Uh, but uh, Arizona State and Colorado both had eventful signing days. Who will have a better season in 2024? As we know, signing days are immediately effective and, and impact the team's performance in the exact same year. Well, who do you think is going to be better in 2024, the Devils or the Buffs? I'll, I'll take my answer off here. Thank you so much for all you do. This son of a bitch. Uh, 
Uh, cool. So he asked me this question. Uh, very, very nice. That's definitely what I intended. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess if I were answering this question, I'm. I think it's probably Colorado. I, I, I. Arizona State put together a big class. Uh, they filled several areas of need. Reed is going to scoff at me right now talking about recruiting, but it does seem to me that both of these programs added some nice pieces that were complimentary. Uh, I think Colorado was closer to being legit competitive this season than Arizona state was. Um, I get that Colorado had some weird noise around the offensive coordinator situation. Uh, I get that Deion Sanders is a bit of a volatile personality, but for the most part, things have run pretty normally. Um, they have now brought in a decent recruiting class. They lose Jordan Seaton, the five-star offensive lineman. I think they've lost him officially. Um, if they haven't, I guess we'll find out. Um, but they added a couple of transfer offensive linemen. Uh, they added a freshman offensive lineman, I'm pretty sure, maybe maybe even two of them. I, I think they got better in the places they needed to, which is along the lines. They got a couple of defensive linemen, maybe nothing like what Oregon is getting, but certainly competitive ones and you don't need Oregon level line talent to compete for the big 12. Um, Arizona state did the same thing, but I also, you know, I think they're, they brought in lesser talent. Um, and I sort of think that they came from, they're starting from a worse place. I do think that that Arizona state is further away than Colorado is right now after the season, after seeing what we've seen, Colorado got blown out once or twice here by really, really good teams. But for the most part, we're competitive in every single game. And Arizona just had one too many blowouts for me to feel that way. So I guess I, I, I would so I would say, um, I'd say the buffs, see, see what happens. All right, let's move on to Avery. I asked Avery, the Pac-12 title game curse is on the line in the Fiesta Bowl when Oregon plays Liberty. I asked her, if the curse dies, what's your prediction for the next thing that will haunt the newest Big Ten slash Big 12 schools. Let's see what she had to say. I'm confident that along with no team going undefeated in the Pac-12 era, the Pac-12 championship loser curse will die. I just cannot feasibly comprehend the idea of Liberty beating Oregon, especially with Bo Nix playing. Now that I've said that, they'll probably lose because that's how words work. Uh, I've actually put a lot of thought into what will plague the Pac-12 teams going into new conferences. Unfortunately, since the Big 12 and Big 10 are boring truck stop leagues, there won't be very many curses like there were in the Pac-12. However, I think in the wake of them not having to play Stanford anymore, these teams will think they're free from any sort of disease. They won't be. There's going to be one Big 10 team and one Big 12 team that just inexplicably fucking owns the former Pac-12 teams. Best guess is based purely off of vibes. Probably Rutgers and West Virginia. Don't ask me to elaborate. <laughs> I can't. Those are just the most random teams that I could see the Pac-12 losing to constantly. I don't know how cursed going 0-12 is, but I expect that from one of the teams leaving the Pac-12. <clears throat> UCLA. It would be so tasty if it was UCLA and USC, but I think that's just wishful thinking. Yeah, interesting curses. Uh, one of these teams owning the entirety of the Pac-12 would be very, very funny. Um, I think the Big Ten might have like a Purdue curse or something. Like that seems like a thing that I feel like I've heard before. I but I don't. I don't really know. Um, I don't know if it's weird to like go to where's Kansas at Lawrence. I don't know if it's weird to go there. I hear things about Lubbock. Like Lubbock is a weird place to play because it's like the Pullman of Texas. Um, okay. Like maybe. But 
Grapes is bringing up some good points. I think I think it's fair to say like one of the teams will probably own the Pac-12 teams just for no reason whatsoever. It'd be interesting to see here how that goes. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really curious to see what there, there's going to be weird stuff um, because none of these programs are Ohio State where they're just winning games every year except for like one. Um, I don't, I don't. I don't think any of them are bulletproof like Ohio State is. So they're going to have one. Maybe they'll have it amongst each other. But yeah, the the Pac-12 title game curse is uh, on the line. It's the last. It's really poetic how it's like the last curse to go, right? Like no one wins nine games in conference. Uh, Stanford beats the shit out of teams that it absolutely shouldn't. It gets an Oregon or it gets a UCLA or it gets a USC or whatever. Didn't really happen this year. Um, Pac-12 title game loser curse. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm really curious to watch that game. I think Oregon should beat the shit out of Liberty. Thought USC would beat the shit out of Tulane last year. They started to, and then they completely lost everything uh, in the end there. So that's that's that. Um, I've got several <laughs> questions here from the homie Chad, friend of the show at UCLA Maltese. I think we've got time for one or two here. So let's let's play one starting at the top. Let's see what Chad had to say. Uh, what's up, Carlos? Uh, this is uh, Chad at UCLA Maltese. Uh, <laughs> just as a quick question, just I think this would really be a good question. With UCLA's offense just, like, dying, really, uh, this season, a lot of UCLA fans are saying, man, it'd be really nice if we had Amari Bailey still. What I want you to do, dig into your bag, give me one college basketball player for every Pac-12 school that they could really use for this season. But don't just go with, like, Wazoo, Clay Thompson, Arizona State, James Harden. Dig into your bag. Give me real good stuff, okay? <laughs> uh, all right, let's see here. Arizona, God, could they use anyone? They look fucking ridiculous right now. Um, I'm not... I can't think of one. I'm like TJ McConnell, who's like the, you know, a uh, cold little white boy prototype, I guess, uh, for Arizona back in the day. Kylan Boswell is better than him. Old school Andre Godala. I, co- college Keyshad Jansen. I think I'd rather take the college Andre Godala right now. Uh, I, yeah, God, Arizona's a hard one. Arizona's like really, really tough. Um, ASU, obviously it's Remy Martin, the man who lives in my nightmares as a UCLA fan. Remy Martin, the prototypical Bobby Hurley dude, just like no efficiency, but he's going to get hot and uh, he's going to cook someone for something. Um, Colorado, you know, I don't know. I mean, they've had some great players coming in out. I think they desperately need a, a killer, a scorer, a guy who's, who can take over games. KJ Simpson is kind of that, um, but he's also supposed to be their distributor. I'm going to go with McKinley Wright. That's probably recent, but uh, yeah, give me give me McKinley Wright. I think mean, he's a great creator, great scorer. Colorado could absolutely use him. He's a good defender, too, in college. thought he was totally decent. I wonder where he's at. I don't know. Colorado fans, tell me where he is. Utah? Oh, man. I mean, why not Pella Larson? <laughs> Bring back Pella Larson to Utah. Pella Larson? For those who don't know, transferred from Utah to Arizona when Sean Miller left. Um, has been 
productive and a good addition for Arizona, a stable one off the bench, kind of disappears in some moments, but Utah could certainly use his athleticism. Uh, he he he's an awesome player. Um, you could say this for a number of like old uh, Larry Kristoviak guys for Utah, like you know uh, Alfonso Plummer, um, Timmy Allen, all those dudes who left after Kristoviak left. Talented, talented guys. Um, really wish they could probably have them. Of course, they've got Andre Miller. Of course, they've got like uh. <laughs> uh anti-vaxxer uh loser andrew bogut but you know whatever uh ucla yeah yeah deep into the bag here um why not uh man there's some real deep ones that you could get into here some real real deep ones i'm i'm gonna say hmm they need a shooter uh should they go back and get jake kyman (laughs) <laughs> Jake Kaiman, uh, where's he at? They desperately need a shooter. No, I think they've they've got other shooters. Yeah, bring back uh, bring back Bryce Alford. He's a shooter, right? His senior year, that was awesome. Um, USC. Oh man, um, deep into the bag. Obviously, they've had some great players like Demar Derozan, and I think Taj Gibson was a Trojan. Pretty sure. Oh man, should we go with an Andy Enfield era guy? Someone from one of those teams? Hmm, it's tough. Like a Chemezi Metu, good player in the NBA still. They've got a ton of talented guys. Um, should go with like an old school, like Tim Floyd kind of guy. You know, like a, like a, oh man, I'm struggling to think of anyone that's not OJ Mayo or Taj Gibson. Uh, you know, like a Daniel Hackett, I think. I don't remember. He he played a lot of games. There's too much stuff. Wrong. The problem is USC is not wanting for talent or uh, or leadership or seniority or whatever. They're wanting for a new head coach. So bring back uh, bring back Tim Floyd. <laughs> Why not? Uh, Washington. Um, another. I feel like we're gonna say it's a lot. Another team that doesn't need dudes. They need a different coach. I guess if I had to pick one, man, every every good Washington player I feel like is just a hooper. Because um, I was gonna say like Terrell Brown Jr. from a couple years ago was was awesome to watch, probably Pac-12 Player of the Year level player, but stuck on a garbage team. Um, Isaiah Thomas, but you know that's not very deep in my bag. It's just like a a, a guy that everyone knows. You know, Justin Holiday. Maybe, I guess, you know, was there for a while, did pretty good in his senior year. Um, I don't know. Washington doesn't need those guys. I'm not like, yeah, yeah, they need like, you know, a big Frank Kepnog, I guess, is hurt, right? So they got to, they got to go get a big, they got any good centers? Um, I'm not really sure. I can't think of a big right now for you, for you, Dub. I'm not sure they've produced a lot of really great bigs. Um, I don't know. Frank Kebnong is the one that needs to be replaced, but I I truly can anyone think of a good Washington Husky center? I don't know. We're spending a lot of time on this, but um Washington State, man. Now we're really getting in the bag if I can't pick Clay Thompson cuz uh Washington State is a team that I just pay attention to the least. In my bag. Let's look on Sports Reference. Let's do this. Let's do this here. Um Derek Lowe. Kyle Weaver. It's a great one. Yeah, get Kyle Weaver back to Wazoo. 
That'd be great. Uh, Oregon, another team that doesn't need dudes. Um, but, I mean, what they need is health because Infali Dante could start over most of their bigs in the past, I think. Nate Biddle might be able to in a year or two. Um, I guess they could use a guard. Little old Peyton Pritchard. They love him, right? Uh, they, they'd probably like that. I don't know if I can go much. Yet. Oh, um, Aaron Brooks. Or Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks would be great on this team. Uh, Oregon State. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Um, Warith Alatiche from the Elite Eight run. Good player. Flamed out in Oregon State. I don't know where he's at right now. I would love to. Also, just a cool name. Warith Alatiche. Yeah, he's in the he's in the G League. So, I don't know. Bring him back for another year. Who am I missing? Cal? Oh, my God. Jalen Brown. I don't know. Uh, uh, God, I can't even can't even think of them. Stanford. They've had, I guess, a bunch of cool players, but the talent is not their problem either. These play, these people just don't need new coaches. Bring bring Mike Montgomery back to both Cal and Stanford. Let him coach both of them at the same time. See what happens. All right, one more question here for Chad before we get to actually talking about UCLA basketball. Let's see what he had to say. Carlos, uh, Chad at UCLA Maltese here. Got a question for you. By the way, I've met Chad before. Man does not talk like this. He's doing a bit. <laughs> uh, with Pac-12 basketball, it really just looks like it's Arizona versus everybody else. So I've got a bit of a hypothetical for you. If you were to combine every region, every like duo, it's like Oregon and Oregon State, you combine the best of both teams and you have them play in a 16 tournament, who do you think would win? And before you say Arizona, Arizona and Arizona State combined, they can have whatever mix of players. He goes on to say uh, that Bobby Hurley has to coach that team. That's the caveat. Do, well, here's the thing. Do you pick the worst coach? Like, is the caveat that you have to pick the worst coach from each of these two? Like, if I combine UCLA and USC, I have to pick Andy Enfield. Let's play it that way. Okay, let's go down the line. So we've got UCLA and USC. Combined roster would kick ass. Um, But Andy Enfield is a coach. (laughs) Washington, Washington State, another great team. But Mike Hopkins is the coach. See, here's the thing. Here's where you're getting wrong, uh, Chad, is that if you pick the worst coach for all of them, it starts to look pretty good in Arizona's favor, though. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, Arizona, Arizona State. Think of that that roster coached by Bobby Hurley. Uh, Oregon, Oregon State. Um, I'm not really. Jordan Pope might be the only player for Oregon State who starts on that team. Uh, but you've got to pick. Oh man, who's worse, Wayne Tinkle or Dana? I'm gonna say Wayne Tinkle, but he's still a. I I like Wayne Tinkle. Wayne Tinkle with some talent could kick ass. Um, Cal Stanford. Stanford has great players, but Jared Haas is the worst coach. I don't know that there's a maybe like maybe Fardaz Amac uh gets the gets a nod at Stanford, but I'm not sure it's drastically changing their situation. Um Colorado, Utah, the mountain schools. <sighs> Who's the worst coach between Tad Boyle and Craig Smith? I guess you'd have to go with Craig Smith. And if you're giving Craig Smith Colorado players. That would be dangerous. I really like Craig Smith. 
I think he's a good defensive coach. Uh, I think he's got guys who are starting. He's like got some experienced dudes now. He got he's got a little bit of talent there with Davon Smith. I don't know. That's a that's a tough one. Um, and I think that's it, right? Colorado or Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, UCLA, USC, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Cal Stanford. So here's the thing. Uh, easily the most talented of that group is UCLA, USC. Easily the worst coach of that group. Um. Maybe it is. It it might be Bobby Hurley. Uh, I think he'd probably be the least composed and probably rattle his players the most. Mike Hopkins, I just don't respect what he's doing on the basketball court right now. Jared Haas is a goddamn criminal. Um, but I I almost I think I would take them over Bobby Hurley. Um, I think in a six team bracket, who would come out ahead? <sighs> Here's the thing. Colorado would be the third most talented team, like out of six, right? I mean, Arizona is number. T- I would put UCLA and USC's combined roster over Arizona, Arizona State. I would. I, Arizona has great players. They have the best roster in the Pac-12. Oh no, I don't agree with that. UC USC does. Arizona has the you know the best combination of talent and coach this year. Talent, experience, and coach. Um but I'd put USC USC has more raw talent than than Arizona does. Um man, so UCLA USC are more talented than Utah Colorado combined. Um Arizona Arizona State, I think I'll go ahead and say have more combined talent. And then after that it's like Oregon Oregon State. Yeah, it's mostly the Oregon players there if I'm being honest with Jordan Pope, Washington Washington State. I'd be probably like, you know, Washington's a good roster. It's not that great, but it's pretty good. Washington State, they're kind of scrapping some stuff together. They've got a couple good players that I really like. But um, so, yeah, I think if I had to pick, I'm picking the Utah-Colorado ones uh, because they get the benefit of having an actual good coach um, in Craig Smith if we're picking, like, the worst coach of those pairs. I would definitely take a Craig Smith coached Colorado Utah combo team over an Andy Enfield coach UCLA USC combined team over an Arizona Arizona State coached by Bobby Hurley. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say Colorado Utah in that frame. In that frame. Now, if you're telling me I just get to pick the best coach and the worst coach is, uh, you know, Bobby Hurley is the only one that you that uh, actually is the bad coach that gets to coach that. I don't know. Chad, I'll tell you, I, I like Arizona's roster a lot. I think it's damn good. I don't think it's as good as USC's. I think uh, it's, you know, I think it's great, but it's not USC level good. So, yeah, if it was like USC's talent coached for one year by Mick Cronin, I don't know. Mick Cronin kind of hates, he hates uh, the the <laughs> one and done, you know, sort of thing going on here. So I, I'm not really sure how we do with that, but I would, I would probably pick that. I'd probably pick, I definitely would pick a Mick Cronin coached, USC, USC, UCLA combined team over any other combination for sure. Um, okay. That's all we have for the questions, but I do want to talk a little bit and maybe you're like, okay, whatever. There's been a lot of basketball, but now we're going to talk about UCLA basketball. UCLA basketball loses to Maryland at home back to back losses for the first time since I don't know when, um, they, what was the final score of that game? 69 to 60. Very nice. A nine point loss for UCLA in this one. Uh, for those who didn't watch, Maryland got a 
big. Uh, they were beating the absolute shit out of uh, UCLA for a while. They got up 20 at one point. Their largest lead was 48-28. That was in the second half. UCLA, to their credit, did claw back. Uh, they did just reach in and claw their way back into the game. Cut it to, I think, about three or four. Um, and in the end, Maryland pulled away. Uh, they kept them at arm's length. Arm's length. Um, dog shit uh, performance from UCLA in that first half. Uh, that team looked like it was straight up quitting. Uh, it looked like it was like the effort on the defensive end. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen a Mick Cronin coach team sort of make really lazy closeouts, honestly, uh, to shooters. Uh, really late, really lackadaisical defensive movement. They had no clue how to defend uh, Maryland's Jameer Young. Uh, this was said on the broadcast by uh, he who will not be named, but he's a left-handed, and it felt like UCLA at no point ever realized that he was left-handed, uh, and that's true. They got beat off the dribble by Jameer Young so many times. Jameer Young scored 37 points, 37 points off of... 19 shots that's fucking ridiculous it's a horrible performance uh from ucla's defense on on one particular guy other dudes kind of got theirs here and there but like the big one was jameer young they had zero clue what to do with him sebastian mack got beat off the dribble several times against jameer young lazar lazarus stavanovich getting beat off the dribble several times a, a number of them including jameer young um the perimeter defense for ucla in the first half was the worst I've seen since that 2019-2020 team. It was it was straight up awful. Um I like a major collapse. And on the interior like a Dembona wasn't giving you much of anything defensively, which is crazy. A Dembona's regression needs to be studied uh because he looks worse than when he did to start the season. Um Ademara actually looked like decent. I I thought he was probably pretty good. He didn't score a lot, but like it felt like his minutes were much more impactful to me than a Dembona's were. Um, so yeah, they defensively in the first half completely broke down. Uh, the other thing they did is they gave up a ton of open shots to the threes. I get the sense this is now, you know, early on in Mick Cronin's tenure, it felt like UCLA was sort of picking and choosing what it wanted to focus on defensively. It looks like that. It looked to me that that's what Mick Cronin was doing. Um, and as was, and one of the things they seemed to give up early on in those teams was three pointers. Um, in the 2019, 2020 season, they were 191 in, uh, three point attempts allowed, uh, 189, 198 last year, 235. So they gave up, they've given up more. Um, but this year, uh, they are 346 in three point attempts per field goal attempts. Um, which means they're giving up a lot of threes. And given in this game, it really did look like part of what they were asked to do schematically was bail out to stop the interior uh, and dare Maryland to shoot threes. I don't know. I think that kind of went away later on, which made me think maybe it was an effort thing. It was it was kind of hard to say, honestly, what what was effort and what was scheme. Um, I think a lot of it seemed to be effort because UCLA kind of came back nicely. They were not overhelping like they did. Uh, Dimitri Dorless, I think, mentioned this on Twitter. Great point. Um, 
UCLA was not overhelping the way that they often do. They can end up committing fouls. Then they fuck up the rotation. Someone's got to go close out a guy, like clear across the court, giving up a ton of open threes. That's a big part of it. Um, and I think that is a focus thing. That's an effort thing. That's just like um, knowing where you have to be um, and locking in defensively. So I don't know. I mean, I uh, I don't know what changed, but UCLA's defense did get much better in the second half. It did, um, you know, it, it felt like they were more active. The guards were getting beat off the dribble less, although later on in that same half, like later on in the game in the final four or five minutes, Sebastian Mack got completely beat off the dribble a couple of times. Lazar Stavanovich completely beat off the dribble. Um, This was a, a brutal performance all around in that first half. In the second half, they were just digging themselves out of a hole. Like they outscored Maryland by six points. Um and event and cut a 20 point lead to about, you know, three, four, five, but they had to claw themselves out of the hole in that entire first half. Um, I got to go back and watch. I got to go and watch the Mick Grun presser to see what, uh, what he said, but this was a, a horrific performance from UCLA, really bad preparation from Mick Cronin, to be honest with you. Um, UCLA is in the shitter right now. Um, there's a lot here to worry about defensively, offensively, that did not get much better in the second half. I think UCLA just is struggling to figure out what it needs to do offensively. And and by that, I mean Mick Cronin. Is he struggling? I mean, this is sort of what he does when he has a deeply inexperienced team. Uh, it just seems like he doesn't know where to go, so he leans on the most experienced players that he can to get buckets while everyone else is developing until he can find one player who can develop into a legitimate scorer and he can lean on him. Um, that's sort of what it feels like to me. He's like, yeah, we're going to pump up the usage rate for like one dude or two dudes and rely on them until we can have a bunch of seniors who are all really damn good. And we can have a more democratic offense, like what happened in 2022, 2023 last year, right? Last year, UCLA was leaning on Jaime Hawkins late in games, but from minute one to minute 32, 33, it's a pretty democratic offense last year. Um, it was moving the ball more than I think it ever had. They were doing it decisively, and it worked. Right? They they had um, they had a top twenty five offense nationally last year. They they worked well together. Uh, they were decisive. They were moving the ball really quickly. Uh, they were getting open shots. Like that was an impressive offensive team. Um, aesthetically pleasing. They were 138 in um, assists per made field goal attempts, I think. Um, what's their assist rate here? Their assist rate was the highest it had been that year uh, until the 2019-2020, which finished 126th, um, but and had a higher assist rate, actually, than the 2023 team. It's kind of interesting. We should maybe go back and watch these games. But this year, so far, it's the lowest, 236th. That's 43 47.6%, which means um, uh, out of 100 possessions, um, 47, 48 of their possessions are, uh, their made baskets are assisted. Whatever. Points per possession, whatever. 100 possessions, 47 assists. So you have to, I explained that poorly. Um, so I say a lot to say, like, that's, their offense is in the mud right now. Uh, they're leaning on Sebastian Mack to try to create stuff on his own. It's not a bad strategy. He's really, really good at getting fouls um, and drawing them, attacking the basket, putting pressure on the defense. 
but it's chaotic and it doesn't always uh it's not very clean it's not particularly efficient probably better than what they normally have another thing is they're leaning heavily on Lazarus Stefanovic to try to create shots to try to get um uh points I I think Lazarus Stefanovic uh has some redeeming qualities but I also am of the opinion that he is uh I said this on Twitter he he's got big 2019-2020 Prince Ali vibes and that doesn't mean anything to casuals. Well, so let me explain this. In 2019-2020, that was Mick Cronin's first team at UCLA. It was an extremely young team. It was also one that was very inexperienced and had some really dog shit happens from the Steve Alford era. That was Mick Cronin's first team. Freshman, true freshman Jaime Hawkes, redshirt freshman Tiger Campbell, freshman Jules Bernard, redshirt freshman Cody Riley, I think. Uh, true freshman, I think Jalen Hill. Um and and I think the loan you had some experience with Chris Smith. I think he was a junior that year. Uh, might have been a sophomore himself. A sophomore and junior year. But more importantly, they had a senior on that team named Prince Ali. Uh, Mick Cronin is old school college basketball. My seniors are the ones who get minutes because they are more experienced. He leaned so heavily on Prince Ali to create offense for UCLA. And let me tell you something. All respect to Prince Ali, not an efficient player by any means, was not a good player in his years in the Alfred system, uh, and he was absolutely not working under Mick Cronin, just was not going well. For the first two months, Mick Cronin, like, it felt like that was his offense, was give it to Prince Ali, the senior, and let him cook. That's what's happening with Lazarus Stefanovic right now. Um, I think Lazarus Stefanovic, eventually what happened, by the way, uh, with Prince Ali is... He kind of got phased out uh, over time. He got phased out to the point where uh, he wasn't really playing very much uh, at the end of the, to, by the end of the season. He was he started his one more game after January fifteenth, and that was senior night, and that was sort of a you know thank you for your service type of thing. Um, Lazar Stavanovich is getting that treatment right now. Um, he's being given a a very long leash. Is being asked to do so much create so much and it's uh it's gotten a little ridiculous it's gotten a little silly um his usage rate has gone down a little bit as i think mick cronin has learned that maybe that's not a player who should be getting as much usage as he had been but uh you know that's you know he's still out there and the thing with lazar stefanovich is that he has a really hard time staying in front of guys uh he's he was getting beat off the dribble several times and that's becoming a theme for him really since like UCLA started playing anyone of significance he's just getting straight up beat and it's really hard to watch um for his sake I feel like get him off the floor to prevent him from having to deal with that that's it's a really tough position for him to be in um so I I don't know I mean this UCLA team has a lot of shit to figure out uh a Daimara, I think I've been very surprised that he's grown as much as he has. I think he is a fantastic player. Uh, feels to me like he could surpass a Dembona. Honestly, I know he's not getting nearly as many minutes. I don't know if Mick feels that way, but um, he may. What he's lacking in explosiveness, he makes up for in his touch around the rim. 
which a dem bonus is still developing, and makes up for it with at least somewhat better decision-making. He's not... I feel like day one Adaimata versus like day... What is this? Whatever game this is, 10 Adaimata. Has, I've seen steady improvement. Like it really does look like Adaimata is is not jumping at everything, uh, is not overreacting, is not overhelping, is knows where he has to be defensively more than he did in game one. And at Dembon, it just feels like he's fouling more. It feels like his fouls are getting worse. It feels like he's making worse decisions on the interior. It feels like he's rebounding worse. Um, that's And that's hard because I, I think a Dembon is really talented player it's like a really fun person to listen to on an interview is uh his help defense when he's locked in and he's not fouling is absurd he should be the best player on this team analytically he is watching this game i, I think ucla has some has to be really concerned i would be really concerned i am really concerned about the dem bonus growth i'm really con- concerned about it um so yeah, that's something to watch here. I, I feel like, you know, where what they do with Lazar Stevanovich, how they split minutes or you know combine minutes or whatever, manage the minutes of a Dembona and a Daivada. Two, I think, true centers. Frankly, like a Dembona is not being asked to like stretch the floor at all. Neither is a Daivada. They're both kind of clogging the paint. Um, I'm really curious to see how those two things split. I'm really curious to see. Sebastian Mack, is he going to be asked to kind of carry the load, and can he grow enough to be able to do that at a more efficient clip than he is right now? I don't know. Lots of questions about this team. Here's the thing. Uh, I don't think this is rock bottom yet for UCLA. I think UCLA has some lessons to learn before they get there. Oregon State suddenly looks like a scary team for UCLA on the road. That's their next game, December 28th. I would I would be I'm not sure I'm terrified UCLA should beat Oregon State, but I just watched them lose to Cal State Northridge and a not good Maryland team. That Maryland team did not look good. Uh they were their offense was one player creating stuff off the dribble or someone else creating off the dribble and their defense uh was fouling a shit ton. Uh a lot like UCLA's this was a, I mean, part of it was the refs were just calling ticky tack shit that honestly hurt the quality of the game, but these weren't quality teams anyway. So yeah, I think, I think UCLA has a, has some tests coming up here really, really soon here with Oregon state in Corvallis. They got to play Oregon, a, a solid, but hurt Oregon team. Those are winnable. Like to see growth. I think you'd want to see UCLA sweep those. I don't think that the growth is very linear right now. I think they're going to split that, if not get swept, because those are road games. And we're going to have to have conversations about, you know, what the season has been and Mick Cronin and, you know, all that sort of stuff. If you're wondering, like, what the point of no return is, right? Like, when do we start saying, like, yeah, this is this is much worse than we had expected from 2019-2020? Let's look on, I think, the, the game that we will learn a lot about this UCLA team and whether they're going to turn it around is probably the USC game on January 27th. They got Oregon State, Oregon, Stanford, Cal, Utah, Washington, Arizona State, Arizona. Um, that stretch capped off by Arizona is intriguing because Stanford's talented, but they are coached by 
uh, a wet napkin. Um, Cal, deeply under-talented, but kind of scrappy. Utah is a team that I think UCLA will absolutely lose to. Washington is a team that UCLA absolutely could lose to. Arizona State's in the shutter. UCLA has to beat Arizona State. And then Arizona might beat the living fuck out of UCLA. We'll see. Um, so, I, I don't know. Things are tough right now. I say that USC game on January 27th, that's a point of t- no return. That's the point where you have to say, have they grown? Like, they're going to hit rock bottom. Don't know where it's at yet. We haven't found it. I think it's going to get worse. We'll see. Uh, just a couple of other updates uh, around the Pac-12 and men's hoops. Stanford uh, lost to San Diego State by a good margin. No one is surprised by that. Washington barely escaped Eastern Washington. No one is surprised by that. Wazoo escaped a decent, okay-ish Boise State team. That's fine. Nothing crazy happened in men's basketball. Same, mostly true for um, Pac-12 women's hoops. A lot of stuff went chalk. USC, excuse me, USC did, you know, they they had a scare against Long Beach State, let's be honest. Uh, That game was terrifying for them. They, I wouldn't say they damn near lost it, but Long Beach State was, was, they threatened, uh, I guess is, is what I'll say. They they made this a real-world game uh, in Long Beach. Outside of that, you know, Gonzaga beat Arizona, but Arizona's struggling this season. Uh, Gonzaga women's hoops is, is very, very good. The big one, I guess, is Washington and Louisville. Uh, Washington played at the Yum Center. The Yum Center, right? The KFC Yum Center um, against Louisville. Louisville a ranked team. Washington a ranked team. Louisville wins. Um it looked for long stretches of that game that Washington was going to be able to drag this into the mud. Uh, Louisville sped up the game early. Washington dragged this shit to a crawl. It was cool to see Washington say, nope, fuck you, we're getting in the sand. You're playing in the sand with us. And that uh, they mostly carried that energy over for the rest of the game, but Louisville just had too much offensive power. I think this sucks because I think Washington was sort of the team that, like, you're sort of looking at me like, they haven't played anyone of, of, of note, but they're beating the shit out of teams. Their defense looks ridiculous. I think they did well um, against Louisville, considering what Louisville does to other teams. But it's a disappointing loss because it sort of kind of cements that Washington's just, they're they're good. Don't know, what this, don't know that that's going to translate to much success in the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is a gauntlet. Um, earlier uh, in the week, Utah Tech beat Oregon. Um, Oregon women's hoops is in the mud right now. They did they did end up beating uh, Oklahoma State, which is a decent team, but losing to Utah Tech is embarrassing. Uh, Kelly Graves is it, he's on the hot seat. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm seeing more and more noise about it. Uh, the UCLA Ohio State game happened. Y'all see me saw me tweet about that. We might have talked about it at some point. Um, great game uh, from UCLA for the first I don't know 75 percent of it, and then they took a huge shit um felt like one of the things that ucla was doing was speeding up the pace uh breaking up ohio state's press in uh columbus and then eventually in the lot they took their foot off the brake over the last 10 minutes or so and ohio state crawled back uh this game was over like pretty much most of it was garbage time I think ucla was up almost 30 points and then ohio state uh, fought and clawed back to cut it to, I think as little as three. It was a little scary then. So, but UCLA pulled away in Columbus. I don't know how much we dock them for kind of falling asleep after getting a huge lead. Lesson learned. Uh, so that's going to set up a massive 
UCLA USC game uh, between Juju Watkins and number six USC and Lauren Betts, Charisma Osborne, uh, Charisma Osborne, Kiki Rice, Gabriela Jaquez. It's going to be interesting because you've got one player on the side of USC who is generational. I think more talented than any player UCLA has, even more talented than Lauren Betts. Uh, and on the other hand, you have UCLA, which has Lauren Betts and then has uh, uh, at least one, if not maybe two top five players, definitely top 10 players in the Pac-12. Uh, and then a whole cast of really talented uh, players. So it's going to be a fun game to watch. Can the collection, like the collective work of UCLA stifle USC in their one bright start? Raya Marshall has been great too. Like, it's not like... It's Juju Watkins for USC who's, like, caring, but she's kind of caring right now. Like, if you're, like, a men's basketball casual or, like, you're just kind of peeking in to see women's hoops right now, Juju Watkins is, like, is is carrying her team in a way that we haven't seen, I think, a player carry their team in quite some time. She's fucking ridiculous. It's going to be so much fun. So if you get a chance to watch that game, that's on December 30th. It's on the Pac-12 Network, which, like, come on that game is deserving of a national spotlight and you know women's college basketball games are getting on espn um and all that sort of stuff you know more than it ever has so you'd think this game would get that but it didn't anyway that is all i had that is our recap of pac-12 basketball those are my questions i talked a lot for a solo podcast Eh, it was fine didn't mind it Thanks for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for those who subscribe to our Patreon. Go check that out. NoTruckStops.com. We'll have more content up there for you. For now, it's just me. Remember, there are no truck stops here.